Hello and welcome uh, to another episode of the Sorbonne Mesa podcast. With me today, I have Simon Defaults from uh, the Clapton Press. Welcome to the Sorbonne Mesa podcast, Simon. Thank you. Um, we talk a lot on this podcast about the Spanish Civil War, and that often includes, you know, the International Brigades. We've had uh, several authors on talking about the Scottish International Brigades and, and the International Brigades at large and individual people as well. Uh, generally outside of the brigades, uh, you mainly hear about Orwell and Hemingway. When you read a book, uh, especially one of Paul Preston's books, you're just thrown, these names are just thrown at you. Sometimes they're repeated, sometimes they're not repeated. Um, but where do those historians uh, like Paul Preston and his team of researchers get their information from? And often that is uh, memoirs actually written by the people themselves. Um, and this is something the Clapton Press specializes in, really. Um, but there's also hidden stories behind how these memoirs have, have resurfaced. And Simon has agreed to uh, enlighten us about a very interesting kind of uh, a love triangle, right, uh, between uh, during the Spanish Civil War. So, Simon, can you tell us a bit about who, who are Kate Mangan and Jan Kerskett? Kate Mangan, she was a she was an artist um, and a model. She'd met up with Jan Kursk in London mm -hmm. in 1934, and when and then they went off uh, traveling around Spain to um, the Balearic Islands, and they're actually in Lisbon when the civil war broke out. Came back to London and then he went off to Spain to join the international brigades in. Um, I think it was in September, so quite early, one of the early ones to mm. go. And she went after him because um, she'd written him letters. He didn't reply. And um, she actually had a sister in Barcelona who'd had a young daughter. So Kate went to Barcelona, picked up the young daughter, took her back to Paris. But she'd been so struck by the revolutionary fervor and um, anarchic atmosphere in, in, in Barcelona in September 36, that um, she got on a train and went straight back to Barcelona. She kept on writing Jan letters and he didn't reply to any of them. Um, but in the meantime, she joined up with the Republican press office. And so, um, she, had, she, she found herself a job, kept on looking for him, eventually found him in Madrid, in hospital, in the Palace Hotel, um, which was one of the war hospitals. To cut a long story short, eventually she helped him escape across the border into France, left him with friends in Paris and went back to her job in Valencia. Oh, wow. So <laughs> quite, quite a tangled story. Quite a tangled mm. story. Well, can you tell us a bit about Jan? Because he didn't actually want to be found, right? Is that the truth? Is that the truth? Well, yes, because I mean, um, Kate went out searching for Jan, and it turned out that Jan was actually one of his motives. Put it this way: for going to Spain, um, not only to join the international brigades, but he was looking for a former lover of his, um, who was a German anarchist called Kutzer. He'd met her when um, a few years earlier when 
he'd left Germany, uh, self-imposed exile to escape from his Nazi father. Right. Okay. Well, he went, well when he was when he was um, tramping around the south of of Spain in the in the early 1930s, he, he bumped into a group of three German anarchists. Mm. One of whom was Walter Reuter, who later became um, was later famous as a as a war photographer mm. based in Madrid. One of them, who he uh, had um, romantic affair with, was was um, uh, a German girl called Putzer. Um, when the war broke out, not only did he want to go and fight against fascism by joining the international brigades, but um, the human story, if you like, is is that he also wanted to find Putz and uh, re-establish a relationship with her. Wow! So, which kind of explains why why he wasn't answering case letters. Mm. Did he ever find her? Did he ever find Pusa? Well, sadly, um, by the time he he, he um, met up with Walter Reuter in Madrid, uh, Pusa had already been. She joined the Kum militia. Mm-hmm. Fighting on the Aragon front, and um, she was shot in the trenches, unfortunately. Oh wow! Oh um, wow! So that was all rather tragic. There's a massive funeral, by the way, in Barcelona celebrating her. Yeah, no, she was yeah. one of the most famous militia women in in the in the Pum. Mm. And uh, so, what happened uh, to Kate uh, Mangan? I mean, and Jan. What? So Jan, she helped Jan get back to to France. Did she ever find out about uh, the his ulterior motive for? Well, not ulterior, but the other motive for going to to Spain. After the war, um, they both met up again in London. Ah, uh. and of course, shortly after shortly after the war, the the Spanish Civil War was over. Um, the Second World War broke out, mm. and he was a German exile in the UK, and of course was immediately um, interned as an enemy alien. Wow! Even um, though he was the complete opposite, right? To well, what was quite, going on? Quite. Yeah. Um, you know, one one of those twists. You know, he'd escaped from Nazi Germany only to end up in a in a British internment camp on the Isle of Isle of Man. Wow. So they got back together again, and um, each of them wrote their memoirs. Mm. Um, and but by this time, by the time the Second World War had broken out, um, no one was that interested in the Spanish Civil War anymore. You know, wow. the, a lot of these memoirs have been written in, you know, the in as early as December 1936. Oh, wow. Um, Right the way through to 1939, but there were dozens and dozens of, of memoirs published during that three-year period. Mm. By the time the Second World War um, broke out, of course, it was old news. Yeah. So no one was interested in publishing their memoirs. And what made it more complicated was that they tried to mash them together. They both had very different writing styles, and they were covering different periods. Because Yan's memoir spanned from 1934 to 1937, 
and Cates went from 1936 to 1939. So oh, they didn't wow. quite match up. Mm, but there's um, an overlap. There was an overlap, but they, mm. they were very different writing styles. Yeah. And, and, and the curious thing is that although, although the main motivation for Cates to go to Spain yeah. initially was to find Yan, yeah. um, so of course he features large in her memoir, mm. Ask for Search for Yan. Um, he never mentions her once in his own memoir by, by oh, name. Oh, wow. Does so, he? Oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's, so that's quite powerful. So she must yeah. have, you know, their relationship didn't last a long time after they, after the return to the UK, mm. you know, interrupted by internments on the Isle of Man. And then I think he found the job creating scenery in the theatre and um, ran off with a lighting expert, if, I, if, I, uh, if I'm not incorrect. Right, okay. So, and um, Kate, what did she go on to do? Well, by this time, they'd had a daughter. Oh, wow. And I think, um, really, Kate's, Kate's career was pretty much um, interrupted by that, being a single mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Must have been difficult, right? Mid four, mid mid to late forties, being a single mother in Britain, uh, can't have been easy. And, um, I mean, they never married because by the time they come back to the UK, you know, the war was just about to break out. She was seriously seriously advised that it would not be the best best move for her to marry a German national. Yeah, I can imagine. Probably end up in turn to self. Yeah. Yeah, especially going to Spain as well, right? I mean, people were quite wary of of uh, well, not people, but generally the the uh, the authorities were were wary of them. I'd imagine what was going on oh, over yeah. in oh, 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 people oh, who've been out to Spain. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, because the really interesting story is is Kate's story, because although her motive for going to Spain was to find Yan. Um, she ended up working for the Press and Censorship Office, mm. uh, working for Constantia de la Mora. She met a whole host of characters, you know, W.H. Alden, Ernest Hemingway, um, Robert Kappa, uh, Gerda Taro. She, she went on tour with Robert Kappa and Gerda Taro, who um, she didn't actually get on with very well. <laughs> um, um, and Claude Co Coburn, or Frank Pitcairn, as he called himself in those days. You know, she had she had a lot of fun uh, meeting these people. It wasn't it wasn't all totally grim in Spain during that period. Mm. Um, and just you know, how does she talk about it in her memoirs? She's actually a very keen observer of character. Um, so you know, she doesn't hold back any punches. She, she didn't like Claude Coburn at all. Um, <laughs> because um, she thought he was too much of a hardline communist who'd, you know, bend the truth to suit the party line. She found Gerda Taro very difficult to, to get on with. And, you know, they, they'd gone on this car journey down towards Almeria um, shortly after the fall of Malaga. So, you know, it was, um, it was quite, a, quite a dangerous journey going quite, quite close to mm. uh, the front line. You never knew quite where the front line was in those days. So, mm. um, 
you know, she had quite a quite a big adventure, and that all comes through in her memoir. Mm. Um, and it gives gives the title. You know, she said afterwards in a letter, you know, that that she never felt more alive than when she was in Spain during those years. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that you've sort of. I mean, I'll ask you to tell the tale, but it's interesting that you sort of uh set up this this publishing house to to print these memoirs i mean it's very interesting because it's kind of like uh similar to the feminist uh publishing houses of the 60s you know second wave feminism they went back and found these you know feminist authors that had basically just been uh ignored uh you know kate Chopin, the awakening is like read on every single university course now of English literature university course uh, no one knew who she was for 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 nearly 100 years because she was just ignored when her book was uh was published because it just wasn't wasn't fit in and and you know th th those kind of things happen then uh but it's it's interesting you've been reviving some of these uh memoirs what kind of of response have you had and you know how did you come across how did you fall into this very very specific uh, subcategory, I suppose, of, of Civil War memoirs? Well, I've always been interested in the Spanish Civil War. Mm. Um, but to be honest, I've, you know, um, reading Hugh Thomas is just such a grind, really. Mm. Um, it gives you a lot of details about the military side of things mm. and lots and lots of facts and dates and information. Mm. But very little feel for, um, you know, the social side. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so when um, you, you have more social-based histories, histories based more about um, individual biographies, and I'm thinking, you know, of um, books like um, we saw Spain Die by Paul Preston. Right, yeah. yeah. Very, very, um, in, in fact, he draws very closely in that book on Kate Mangan's memoirs. Right. Uh, but then when you go to find Kate Mangan's memoirs, I mean, they had never been published. Wow, uh, wow. Mainly because they had this, you know, tangled up, tangled up uh, typescript trying to combine two works which didn't really fit together apart from the fact that they, the two had had a relationship. Um, and so it had been all around lots of publishers. Um, Bernard Knox, who was another uh, famous international brigader, tried to help um, get it published, but it was just unpublishable in that state. Right. So it ended up um, languishing in an archive in in the Netherlands. Oh well. Wow. Paul Preston actually sent us um, a PDF of a beaten up typescript, and we waded through it and and realised that there were that there were two really good books there. You just had to untangle them and publish them separately. Wow! Wow! Easier said than done because. Um, several of the chapters were missing because oh, wow. they've been cut out to combine them. Mm. Um, so we contacted um, Charlotte Kurska, their daughter. And oh, wow. She had a box of 
box of photographs and old um, chapters in a box under her bed. Oh, wow. So she dug up a few chapters which had been missing from Jan's, um, Jan's memoir, and we were able to reconstruct it uh, from that. And she also had correspondence with Bernard Knox. Um, so it, and, and um, also a list of names because um, Kate's memoir had been written in code. Oh, really? You'd met all these famous people, mm. and but she didn't want to name them personally in, yeah. in her memoir. So she'd given them all these pseudonyms. Oh well. Um, and and Charlotte had a had a list identifying some of the names, not all of them. Oh wow, really? Oh. Um, so we did a bit of research to identify some more of those. Uh, Richard Baxold. Um, the leading expert on the international brigades helped us find a few more. Paul Preston found a few more. Um, so it was it was it was quite a work of discovery, actually. Mm, yeah, and you, and you've continued since, right? I mean, you, you've you've published more than just uh, Kate and Jan's Jan's memoirs. Yeah, I mean, we've I think about um, we've probably published nearly twenty memoirs now. Wow! Well. Some of which were previously unpublished, like Kate's memoir and like um, um, Firing a Shot for Freedom, which were the memoirs of Frieda Stewart, who did a lot to help the, um, the Basque children. Mm. Um, okay. And then, then later ended up in a, in a, later ended up in France helping the Spanish refugees who'd oh, been wow. into concentration camps after the war. Wow, wow. Well. And then she ended up in a concentration camp herself. Jesus. Um, escaped with the help of the French resistance and ended up back in London working for Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> well, that's, that's another quite, story. Quite an impressive, yeah. Um, and, then, and then a number of others behind the Spanish barricades by John Langdon Davies, who was a, who was a journalist um, who was in Barcelona around the same time as Orwell. But unlike Orwell, um, he'd lived in Catalonia for 10 years previously. Oh, wow, really? So he could speak. He, yeah. he did speak Spanish. He did speak Catalan. And he did understand the politics, which, yeah. uh, which Orwell, uh, sadly, was a bit confused by it transpires. Mm, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's often the, the go-to memoir, right? Uh, homage to Catalonia. But when you actually read a bit more about the civil war there's lots of lots of gaps and and holes and 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 bits as you say he wasn't politically uh well briefed i suppose is the best term when 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 he went out and and, and on writing the book uh, and he was only there for a few months as well so yeah yeah that's true that's true um which of the memoirs has been the most interesting for you uh, to like come across and and find. Um, I think, in all honesty, it all leads back to Nevermore Alive by Kate Mangan. But um, uh -huh. there's also that leads on to In Place of Splendor by Constantia de la Mora, um, who was Kate Mangan's boss. 
Oh, right. Okay. It's a, it's a, you know, it's it's the it's called In Place of Splendor, the autobiography of this of a Spanish woman. Wow. And she was from a fairly aristocratic background. Her, her grandfather was Antonio Maura, who'd been um, prime minister of Spain for 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 years at the turn of the century. Wow. And she'd um, kind of renounced her family. Oh, wow. One of the first women to get a divorce under the new laws in the in the Spanish Republic. Oh wow! Um, and ended up marrying the head of the Republican Air Force, um, and heading up the the Republican uh, press office. So wow. she was uh, she was a very interesting character. Um, one. Um, other very interesting memoir we're working on at the moment, or which is more of a, it's a diary rather than a memoir, is um, called The Last Mile to Wesker, which mm. is, a, was a diary published back in the 1980s, I think, um, which had been discovered by Judith King, an Australian um, academic. And she's completely rewritten the introduction to to the diary on the basis of all the publications that have come out since then, you know, all the new information. Um, so that's one that's coming out very soon. Right. Another really fascinating book, which um, which surfaced in 1938 and had been out of print ever since, is um, called My House in Malaga by Sir Peter Chalmers Mitchell. Now he'd uh, he was an eminent a zoologist. He'd been chairman of the Zoological Society of London. And he went out to Spain in 1934 at the age of 70 to have a quiet retirement. Oh, wow. Two, two years later, yeah. all hell breaks loose. And most of the expats living in Malaga charged down to uh, Gibraltar um, because, of course, Malaga was taken by the anarchists. and um, you know, was quite a quite an anarchist stronghold until early 1937. Mm. Um, but Sir Peter stayed on in Malaga as a self-declared anarchist himself <laughs> to look after his house and servants. Oh wow! Well, quite the anarchist uh, if he's got servants, right? But yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a very loose term. Yeah, loose of term. course. So while the war was on. Um, his next door neighbour um, was a chap called Thomas Pauline, and he was a famous extreme right-wing family. Oh wow! Now he'd gone off into hiding, and his wife knocks on Sir Peter's door and said, "Can you can you help us? We're scared. You know, um, can you take us in?" And um, it wasn't just her; she had five daughters and a mother. And he very kindly, though an anarchist himself, <laughs> sheltered this family to, you know, his fascist family, um, to protect them from, you know, keep them keep them safe um, during the first five or six months of the war. When um, when Malaga was taken by by uh, Franco's forces, um, they went back to their house. Um, 
and Arthur Kersler, who at that time was still a communist, knocked on Sir Peter's door. Um, and, uh, and he asked him for shelter. So while the anarchists were, control were in control, he was looking after some uh, fascists who were at risk. When the fascists came in, he was looking after a communist. Wow. Um, now, these things are always, there are always some tangled connections. It turns out that the nephew of Thomas Pauline, whose family he'd looked after during the war, was um, Luis Pauline, who was uh, Franco's chief propagandist. Oh, wow. uh, he threatened that if he ever had the <laughs> If he ever laid his hands on Arthur Kersler, he would shoot him like a dog. So the first thing he did when he came to Malaga was knock on Sir Peter's door. And unfortunately, who answers it but Arthur Kersler? They both got arrested. Both got sentenced to death. Oh, wow. Um, both escaped. Huh. Sir Peter, because he had... Um, good aristocratic connections in the UK, but um, um, quite a tangled story there. But he wrote yeah. a fascinating memoir. Wow, that's a, that does sound like one that I'm going to buy. <laughs> no, it does sound good. And what was that called? My House in Malaga? That's called My House in Malaga. Um, Brilliant. And amazingly, that had been out of print since, since 1938. Wow, it sounds like, um, you know, it sounds like uh, the storyline to a film uh you know it could it, yeah. could it could well be made into a film yeah, and there, yeah. there's so many little stories like that there's um nancy johnson and her husband archie who um left london left their dreary lives in london to set up a hotel on the costa brava in 1934 and of course it was wildly successful and of course two years later the war breaks out Everyone else leaves, gets gets rescued by a, a Royal Navy warship, which um, appeared just off the beach. And they said, well, we're not going. We're, we're going to stay where we are. They set up, uh, they turned their hotel into a refuge for orphans. Oh, wow. Um, and set up a whole colony um, um, looking after, I, I think, probably about 40 or 50 of these um, orphan children wow. taking over a house, the house next door. Um, when the war broke out, sorry, when, when uh, towards the end of the war, um, as Franco's troops were, were heading to Barcelona, um, they had a mad rush to the border with all these children got them over the border into France and then the kids were immediately put into French concentration camps. Wow, yeah. So um, they did what they could to help them. Mm. Um, and um, the kids were sent back to Spain um, and they went into self-imposed exile in Madrid, um, in Mexico. Um, oh, wow. Strangely enough, Nancy Johnston, who'd set up this hotel, ended up meeting Const and becoming friends with Constancia de la Mora in Mexico. They were in a car crash in, in Guatemala where um, Constancia died. Uh, Nancy survived, but within 12 months, she just disappeared off the face oh, wow. of the earth. 
she left a forwarding address with Faber and Faber, um, and no one ever heard of her again. Oh, wow, really? Jesus. <laughs> so you get these strange stories of, of, um, of um, paths that cross. I mean, it's interesting, right? I mean, the, as you said earlier, you know, you read some history books about the Spanish Civil War, and it's very... Uh, lots of facts and figures and and tactics and and even some of the some of the more human books still throw so much at you. Uh, but to actually read from the point of view from someone who was there and lived the experience is just well, as a reader, it's a complete different experience. Yeah, no, I think I think so, and and um, I think if you just read the memoirs, you're you're going to get um, probably quite a distorted yeah. idea. Everyone's got their personal view. Yeah. So they're, they're complementary. You know, yeah. read, read the history books, but also read the memoirs. Definitely. To, to, to get a good feel, I think, of, of the times. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Nice to, um, nice to speak to you. And where, sorry, before we go, where can people buy your books? What the book your from your from your press? Well, they're they're available in um, online bookstores. So um, Blackwell's, for example, uh -huh. stock a, a good range of our books, um, and you can also get them directly from our set um, from our website through our website, um, which is theclaptonpress.com. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks Adam.